Welcome to the first episode of Navigating the Cloud Journey podcast series. I'm your host, Mike Valadeo, and today we discuss visibility strategies for hybrid cloud environments. I'm delighted to have Ethan Banks as our guest today. Ethan architected networks for more than 20 years before he co-founded Packet Pushers Interactive LLC. Today, he's a renowned author, blogger, and an industry consultant. His company is responsible for producing content for multiple shows, including heavy networking and day two cloud. So we're going to jump right into content here. Ethan, I keep hearing that hybrid cloud has become the de facto standard. Is that true? And if so, what does it mean? Is there any way we could perhaps define some of these terms? Uh, so if we define hybrid cloud as you've got public cloud and you've got stuff in Amazon Web Services and Azure and wherever else you've got stuff, and then you've got some kind of on-premises gear still, because you do. Yeah, and then, most people then, do. Then it's then and you've got that's a rough definition to me of hybrid cloud. Okay. There are a few shops that have got everything migrated off to AWS. Everybody's got something on prem because reasons. Now, I guess we could argue, Mike, about whether or not if you have a cloudy on-premises infrastructure that is self-service and API-driven infrastructure as code, whether or not that qualifies. Because a lot of times people that are doing on-prem stuff, it's kind of their legacy environment. But sure. Uh, you know, hybrid cloud is a big umbrella, I guess. So maybe we just got to keep it. There's stuff on-prem, yeah. Mike, and there's stuff in the public cloud, too. That's correct. And in fact, you could even talk about multi-cloud because sometimes somebody will have a combination of multiple cloud environments and even maybe a private cloud as well. So <laughs> for our conversation, let's keep it broad, okay? Okay. So would you def would you agree that it tends to be a de facto standard and why? It's a de facto standard because that's what businesses need. Um, okay, I'm going to qualify that. That's what businesses need, or sometimes that's what businesses have. Shadow IT has driven a lot of public cloud adoption, of course, where we're past, we're not entirely past the shadow IT thing, but I think a lot of shops have done their best to bring the public cloud presences that they have into their standard governance. I'm going to quote you here. I, I, you had said at one time that, the cloud is something that happens when IT is doing other things. Is that true? <laughs> that's the, well, of course, that's the tagline for the day two, uh, exactly. day two cloud podcast. And, and, and that's the joke, right? You know, shadow IT has created all kinds of cloud adoption. Uh, and I think that because of that, though, we're aware of that that's an issue and companies and businesses have done their best to bring that all in house, get it under standard governance and yet we can't just pick up everything we've got in our data centers and move it to cloud. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some applications do not do well in cloud, or if you've, or some companies have tried this where there's a lift and shift approach, they pick it up. It was a VM, let's say running on VMware and they move it to an Amazon EC2 instance. And it's really expensive to pick it up and move it and drop it into an EC2 instance that got oversized because you got to have it be a big instance, right? You never know how much RAM or CPU you're going to need and see so you size it really big. You pay dearly for it. The business gets the bill. Wow, we shouldn't have done that. And then they end up uh, maybe repatriating that workload. And so businesses are getting smarter about this now where, all right, we know you can't just pick it up and move it. That's not the right approach for a lot of uh, applications. So they're in a situation of, I'm going to keep it in-house because eventually I'm going to replace it with something else. What's the point of moving it to cloud? And so they've got on-prem for that reason. 
Um, or they're in a project where they're going to trans, uh, they're going to refactor that application, let's say. They're going to they're turn it into something that can work well in a cloud-native environment, but that is uh, time-consuming and potentially expensive to make that happen. And so they're not, that app's not moved to cloud today. It might be in a year or three, but not today. And so these, these, this hybrid cloud environment is just here for very practical reasons. Great. And the fact is, we still have to worry about security. We still have to worry about analytics. Who's responsible for all these things? <laughs> Who's responsible for this is a difficult question. So uh, on the one hand, you've got the, you still got operations folks that are, that are thinking about a, a lot of these things. Security is such a big question. It is complicated. Who do you make responsible for this? When you begin to deploy applications into public cloud, the security model is somewhat different and more nuanced um, and maybe just different ways that you go about securing your your VPC and your various PaaS services you might be consuming versus what you're used to in-house. So who does that? Is it the person who, the ops person, let's say, who maybe was responsible for standing that up? Is it some kind of a SecOps team? Is it uh, a governance team? Uh, I mean, we could go on about this, Mike, but I don't I don't think the paradigm changes particularly just because we've introduced public cloud into the mix as far as who's responsible for security. I think what changes is just bringing in a whole new environment and a different way of thinking and making sure that there is a model that as developers consume public cloud, they are fitting into an existing and defined security strategy. The, the rules have been set up. Ideally, it's been automated uh, for them when those workloads get deployed. I, I don't know that we see that in reality all that often, but that's that's ideally what we'd like to see. Exactly. Because you know, with a shared environment here and shared you know, who actually owns these things, it does make it more difficult because one size doesn't fit all for everybody in cloud. And as a result, we've kind of got to navigate the journey ourselves and try to figure out what makes the most sense in which environments. And along that same line, if you're going to be trying to do the security, do the analytics, try to make sure everything works out there, where does visibility really come into all this? Why is that important? Well, well so let's define visibility, Mike. Um, so I'm going to take point. a step back for a second here and say, when you're talking about cloud environments and operating applications in, in a cloud, cloud-like infrastructure, maybe it's running on Kubernetes. Yeah. Observability is the magic word. There's visibility, but then there's observability. And that's, I think, referring to something that's subtly different. So observability, we're higher up the stack. Um, it's a big, big buzzword, a lot of products that are in the quote unquote observability space. But you're looking at how applications interconnect. You're looking at, say, a uh, microservices architected application where there's a lot of calls going back and forth across the network to fulfill the transaction request that's come through. How is that being done? What does that look like? And you have tools that do distributed tracing, let's say. All right, that's one kind of thing. There's a lot of telemetry that can come out of that world. So you can get a sense of exactly what the app is doing, how the different parts of the application are working together, different tiers, if it's uh, that sort of an architected app. But if we get down to visibility, Mike, I think, you know, th this is a Gigamon podcast. We, I think you and I have a maybe from a networking perspective, a different thought about what visibility is. We're, we're trying to get down to the packet level. Am I right? Whenever we can, the packets are often your best source of information. 
However, it could be higher level as well. It could also be things with metadata. So there's lots of different options out here. Uh, we're just trying to define what we mean by visibility. And for me, visibility means being able to see what's going on, to be able to get rid of the black holes, if you will, because sometimes things fall into a position that we don't know what's going on. And maybe you wanna use it for, obviously for security purposes, but also sometimes for troubleshooting. That could be a so, big deal and it makes it difficult in the cloud. So by we, we're getting at uh, network engineering, um, the, the network ops folks that are being blamed for the app performing poorly. Good point. Absolutely. The <laughs> we is typically the people that are either the sec ops or the networking folks, because they're yeah. the ones that get the blame when something goes wrong. Yeah. And so in that case, you know, visibility, it means what it's meant to us all these years. We want to be able to grab packets off the wire uh, if we can. And we don't necessarily want all the packets. Practically speaking, we can't get all the packets. The wires are too fast. We're pushing too much data to capture it all, right? But we want the ability to know at any point on the network what data is flowing between two points, see those packets, the packets don't lie, and, and figure it out from there. Uh, although, Mike, I just I got to point out, if we get to this point in troubleshooting, it's like, oh, man, I got to break out the sniffer and start looking at what's <laughs> going on. Your day is not going well. Things, I mean, if that's what you've been reduced to, it's just. You are uh, absolutely right here because we don't want to have to get to that point, but we do want the information to be able to keep us from getting to that point. So are there good ways to maybe leverage similar security across the hybrid environment? What are your thoughts there? How do you go about getting the information and moving it around? Give us some thoughts here. What are best practices? So it sounds like we're talking similar security in the context of visibility, Mike. Yeah? Yes, I think so. Um, in our shops, in the data centers that we own, we've built out visibility fabrics. Uh, that, that's, that's the thing that we've done. Um, we, and we've been able to plumb in to anywhere in the network and pull bits off the wire using span ports on a switch, let's say, something like that, or, uh, you know, maybe some agents here and there. But uh, but the big thing was we owned the network. We owned the physical switches and the physical hardware. And so we could plug in, say, I need this data that's on the network copied over to this span port, and then we send it off to uh, something like a Gigamon box, and then off to a tool for analysis. Uh, yeah. with and, our and it could be fabrics. anything from Bro to Sericata, whatever you happen to have. It could be Palo Alto Networks. We don't really care what the tools are. Mm -hmm. We just want to be able to feed them properly. In the cloud, we don't have any switches anymore. So, oh no, so no switches. What happened yeah, to that? So and so that that's really introduces the new paradigm here, where we need to be thinking about. It's not new, but it's. How do we solve the problem of we don't own the switches and so, but we still want the packets, where do we tap in so that we can yep. see that stuff? Uh, and, and there's a bunch of answers to that question, uh, Mike, several, several different things uh, that we can get into. Let's take AWS as an example. How would one be able to get some of the data? So Amazon offers a service called uh, VPC traffic mirroring, where on an EC2 instance, you can say, I want to mirror traffic coming off of this EC2 interface and send it somewhere. They, Amazon will tunnel it for you and send it to where you want it to go. Um, they also offer that on a network load balancer. So if you've got a network load balancer sitting out in front of your application, uh, you can do it there. And when you do that, now what you're doing is relying on Amazon 
uh, as you kick off this service to pull the packets off of the wire. I mean, but it's Amazon's wire (laughs) encapsulate it for you to tunnel it across your environment and then send it to where it needs to go. Uh, What's interesting about this, though, uh, that's different in our data centers, when we own this ourselves, we never thought about things like egress charges because, you know, we're not paying any extra, but you are in the Amazon environment. So you have to think about where you're shipping this stuff to. Are you shipping these packets uh, using the VPC traffic mirroring service offsite or to somewhere in the cloud for processing? If you're shipping it offsite, actually, I got a quote here from some of the Amazon's documentation. They point out that mirrored traffic counts towards instance bandwidth. So if you've got a a gig of inbound traffic and a gig of outbound traffic and you're mirroring it, you're going to end up with three gig of outbound traffic totally, a gig for the outbound, a gig for the mirrored inbound, and a gig for the mirrored outbound uh, traffic, you know, all told. And you're saying that adds up, huh? That that actually costs money? (laughs) Well, it it just, I mean, it's kind of one of those obvious like, oh yeah, I mean, wow, okay, I got to really think about this to make sure that what you probably want to do is not be shipping it off site unless it's like an occasional thing that you do once in a great while and you don't mind that occasional egress charge. Maybe you want to be shipping it to some instance inside the cloud for processing and then maybe ship metadata or something off site. As like an that. example, you might have a VPC that's set up as a tool stack and you could have your tools right there. That's one way. You know, there's different ways that you can do things here. And one of the things, because of the amount of money that it costs to ship the money, to ship the money, yeah, the money, to ship the packets <laughs> back and forth is, is simply the fact that you're better off doing your filtering ahead of time. Don't do it after you ship it back on prem. Do the the heavy duty lifting up front in the cloud, because in the cloud, you'd be able to do your filtering and say, for example, I want to maybe do some packet slicing. Maybe I only want certain types of packets. Like you said, don't make it so that one plus one plus one equals three. Just send what you need to be smart about it. Exactly. Uh, which I'm thinking, well, of course, everybody does that. But then, of course, everybody, we hear the horror stories about the surprise bills that people get. Uh, So so maybe not everybody thinks about this. But uh, but yeah, that exactly. You want to you want to do that filtering uh, right up front and and minimize those uh, those fancy charges. And and Mike, most of the clouds, as I was digging around, offer something like this Amazon VPC traffic mirroring service. Uh, Google Cloud has their VPC packet mirroring service, they call, which sounds very similar and has some of the same caveats that the Amazon service offers. Azure is an interesting one. They have a service called Virtual Network Tap, but it's a quote-unquote preview feature not supported currently. And that there's a doc I found dating back to 2019 where they say, yeah, it's a thing. And if you read through it, it sounds like the Google and the Amazon doc, but they're not uh, really – it's not again. It's a preview feature, not available to everyone. And I checked with one of my contacts at Azure, and he, he confirmed that. No, that that's where it's at. Uh, not really a live thing right now. And Azure says, "Hey, go to the packet broker, folks," uh, which was interesting because it's like, okay, so you've got these cloud native services that can do packet mirroring for you. But if you can't get done what you need to there, depending on what cloud you're in and what functionality you're looking for, then now you're into a traditional packet broker. Uh, Again, like we've had for years, only redesigned in the image of the cloud so you can still get your packets off the wire uh, in the cloud. And I know this is where Gigamon lives and there's a bunch of, oh, there's a whole bunch of vendors that uh, live in this space. I'll actually make a plug here. I don't normally want to make plugs for Gigamon, but Gigamon helped uh, Azure 
in putting that together. So that future technology, which you say is very similar to the VPC mirroring that other uh, clouds have, uh, that's something that Gigamon has had a hand in working on because of course it's very important to us as well as the industry to be able to have that kind of capability in the future. So I do oh, see you're talking it about the, 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 the Azure network tap, virtual network tap is uh... Uh, actually their mirroring capabilities that is yet to be debuted is something uh. that has been working with Gigamon. So that's just a little bit of insight for you here. So anyway, there's other ways of getting the traffic as well. Of course, uh, let's say that, uh, let's say that you've got virtual switches out there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also things such as ER span and things of that nature. So there are ways yeah, of getting you, some. Well, I, I'd forgotten about that because it's like, it's like the less, it's like such a replica of what we do on site to do something like, okay, I got a, a, a Cisco uh, CSR 1000 V up there. And yeah, you can do ER span off of that. But it's like, I really think one of the errors that we make as network engineers moving into cloud is trying to make cloud behave like my on-premises stuff behaved. It just let that go. That's not right. how that's supposed to work anymore. Get your head around how the cloud wants you to use networking, what the limitations are, what the boundaries are and how they want you to do things. And it's confining which is ironically also liberating because it's like, oh, I don't have 28 ways to do this. I have like one way to do this or maybe two ways to do this. But so often our go-to is I want to do it the way I'm familiar with now and just replicate it in the cloud. Yes. But that can be slow. It can be inefficient. It can be expensive. And, and to unlearn what we've learned from on-premises data center work our whole careers uh, we have an opportunity now to learn something new, some fresh technology. And yeah, there's a lot of things that are the same. We don't have to relearn it all from scratch. But to me, if your solution to, to uh, um, packet capture is throw up a uh, CSR 1000V and do ER span, you're not taking an opportunity to do things in a new way. Maybe it's the most effective way as a short-term solution. Maybe it's the easiest thing to do. But to me, it's like falling back on what you know when there's probably a better, more cloud-native or at least cloud-friendly way to do such things. Well, I don't disagree with you at all here. So let's go into even some of the more uglier components that are out there in the cloud. There's a whole bunch of different pieces out there. And what about things like agents? You know, I know everybody loves agents, right? Everybody <laughs> wants an agent out there. Isn't that you just want one more agent to make everything work better for you, right? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, I, I mean, you're saying that tongue firmly in your cheek, Mike. I can I can see yes, you on I video am. here, but you're, you're about biting your own tongue off. But the uh but the agent thing architecturally solves a certain problem, right? Because then it becomes it sort of, you don't care where the workload is. It doesn't even know there's public cloud there necessarily. You could just, you know, as long as you can deploy the agent and you can see the agent wherever it lives, you can do the thing, whatever it is that the agent is called upon to do. No, we all hate agents and it's annoying and we got to standardize them in our builds and, you know, put them up and they are what they add, you know, weight and potentially latency and, you know, all kinds of things. But, uh, but they do, uh, again, architecturally, they're, they're kind of nice uh, from that perspective, just for, for ease of deployment. But you, you, well, you did preface this was the uglier bit. So I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, this is for practitioners, as we've talked about. So, yeah. so the concept is we want to talk about these things, because if you yeah. understand what your options are, then you can make the right decisions. And that's where I think we're really going here, because there are a lot of options and what happens is a lot of the people that are used to being in on-prem, like you said, they're used to doing things a certain way. Mm 
that has to shift that has to evolve and it will evolve both with the cloud companies themselves as well as the way that we do business ourselves too because you have to move you make you make a point here though because it's not just about the consumers of these technologies that need to 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 move along it's also the vendors it's also uh, the public cloud providers. I mean, everybody is having to rethink about how some of these things are done. I think you know, early days of public cloud, we were in a situation where public cloud was designed more with hyperscale in mind and more automated procedures in mind and a more typical sort of workload in mind. When the enterprise came along and began consuming cloud more and more and more and brought their not hyperscaler kind of problems where you needed more insights. You know, going back to the hyperscaler example, you, if you have something that's slow and you have enough telemetry to know that that container running that copy of the workload is just a dog, what do you do? You kill it. You delete it. You restart it. You move on. You don't troubleshoot it. You don't think about it. Oh, something's got malware on it. Kill it. Restart with the golden image. Go. You solve the problems that way. Now, I think enterprise could benefit from that sort of thinking. At the same time, a lot of the applications aren't designed to be able to work that way. It's still a monolith of some sort. It doesn't scale out where you can just kill and restart instances. And so cloud, too, and the vendors that uh, have supported the enterprise and are now supporting enterprises that are moving into cloud have had to evolve the tools as well. So there's a lot of things that are going on here. Uh, that make this complicated. It's not like, if you just figure out the cloud native thing, you'd be fine. It's not so simple as that because not all the tooling is even there to to do exactly what we maybe need to do. And yes. so now it's getting to, we've got a lot of minimum viable product and, and, and better. We've got a lot of, uh, I think, kind of 2.0 of these sorts of solutions that are out there. And, um, and and we're learning how to use them. And but now it's like, okay, w what else do we really need to make these tools efficient and insightful and uh, as inexpensive from a cloud perspective and user perspective as possible? Yep. And I agree with you that the whole reason why people have moved to cloud is because it's easy to spin things up. It's easy to take care of the scalability. You don't have to wait three months to order the gear and then build it out. It happens really, really fast. The drawback, of course, is we still have to secure it. We still have to maintain it. We still have to do all these things. And we're just talking through different ways of possibly getting that accomplished. So any other best practices or possible gotchas that come to mind? Anything else we should mention here? Well, if best practices were talking around, you know, security, to me, the, the, the biggest thing is to get all the right folks engaged as you're beginning to move these workloads up to cloud. You have a security model, you have a governance model, you know, data governance and, uh, and so on. Okay, before you move to cloud, that conversation needs to be had. That is, get all the folks around the table, discuss how you're going to take your long year standard set of uh, processes, procedures, rules, governance, and then map that into the cloud. It will open up a very large discussion. We talked earlier, Mike, about, well, who's responsible for security? And I, I don't know that we came up with a clear answer because I don't think there's a clear answer to give because it depends so heavily on your organization, how you're using the cloud, what rules the different applications fall under and so forth, the, which underscores the point here. 
you've got to have everyone together in agreement on what's happening and then establishing what those security rules are going to be. And that's in, in two tiers. On the one tier, it is um, it is the, kind of the rules, the, the governance model, what the security models look like. And then on the other, it is who the operators are that are going to bring that security to life. And as I mentioned earlier, ideally in an automated way where you've established this stuff, uh, what these uh, rules are going to look like, what these profiles are going to look like, as you bring a workload into existence, those security profiles are automatically applied so that devs don't have to think about it. Because <laughs> you know, if there's someone that's not responsible for security, I mean, at least at an infrastructure level, it shouldn't be the devs. They don't want to have to think about that. That should just be there for them. Let them worry about application level security. You know, let the infrastructure I'm so be I'm so happy that folks. you're mentioning this. And the reason why I say that is because what I'm seeing out there in the wild is very often a lot of the people in, on the cloud teams aren't talking with their traditional networking and secop folks they're almost seem it almost seems to be a throwback to the days when networking people didn't talk to their security people well they finally got so that they're doing the same type things now whereas now it almost seems like the one that is off on the side is there's this special team that's dealing with the cloud and when they do that they're not always doing all that talking and the communicating that you're talking about. So well, you, you're almost uh, you almost want to make me get up my desk and yell because this is this is <laughs> we haven't we busted the silos yet? Haven't we figured it out? IT as an organization cannot be aligned along technology silos. It's broken. There's too many dependencies cross technology. You have to build the stack together as a group. I just. Uh, Mm, this is one of those things that really winds me up because I see this too, Mike. I see the, oh, you know about AWS. So we're going to put you in this corner. And when we need something stood up in Amazon, we're going to send you a ticket and you're going to stand up the thing. And that poor soul is just there trying to figure out to the best of their knowledge how to do it. And we got all these security issues that to, I, today, today I heard about <laughs> an unsecured S3 bucket. I mean, how many years have we been hearing about that problem? You know, can't we get over that yet? It's broken because you can't rely on individuals to just figure it out because they know something about the tech. All of the technology implementations must be guided centrally, and that best happens when everyone that is involved in an IT group work together to figure out what this thing looks like from top to bottom. It's hard to have those conversations. It is a difficult thing to have. you got to learn each other's languages and so on. Cloud adds yet another dimension to our silos, but again, we should not have silos anymore. Cloud is the, to me, it shouldn't be yet another silo. It should be the thing that brings everyone together around the table. You Triggered, Mike. You triggered me. Sorry. I, obviously, I did. And I apologize <laughs> for that, but I'm so happy that we talked about that. Hey, Ethan, thank you very much for helping us explore visibility in hybrid cloud environments today. Before I let you go, how can our listeners keep tabs on the activities that you're doing moving forward? There's two places you can keep up with me. I am at packetpushers.net. That's where you will find me co-hosting a number of technology podcasts for engineers. You can also find my personal blog at ethancbanks.com, where I write about tech, share opinion pieces, and so on. And on Twitter, I am at ecbanks. Great. That is a wrap of our first episode. If your folks out there have any questions or comments, please visit the Hybrid Public Cloud Collaboration Group within the Gigamon community, which of course is at community.gigamon.com. Our cloud journey has begun. Hang on and enjoy the ride. Thanks, folks. <laughs>